Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. So at this point, it, it is our custom to go around the room and introduce ourselves. Uh, uh, and uh, let's pay uh, special attention to our newcomers. Uh, yeah, so when, uh, when com- your turn comes, uh, please mention that so that we can say hello later on. So let me start with myself. My name is Oswaldo. I'm David. I'm Amos. Ian. Rochelle, first time. Jeremy. Augusta. Baruch. My name is Cass. I'm Jerry. I'm Matt. I'm Doug. I'm Wallach. I'm My name is Eric. My name is Michael. My name is David. Peter. Jack. Mark. New member. Doug. My name is Fred. I'm David Cannon. I'm Ralph. Cheryl. Tonton. I'm Ray. My name is Jerry Jones. My name is Roy. My name is Tim. I'm first time here. My name is Brian. My name is Tage. I'm Jim. I'm Tom. I'm Jonathan. Okay, well, it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker, Bill Weber. Uh, Bill has uh, been a long time uh, friend and member of the Sangha. Uh, I just counted the number of recordings that we have on our website, and I counted 10 over the last 10 years. So Bill is a senior Vipassana practitioner. Uh, he's a graduate of the Spirit Rocks uh, Community Dharma Leader Program. Uh, he teaches beginning meditation classes and day-long retreats, too. Um, Bill has studied for the last uh, 15 years with Eugene Cash, among others, and has had extensive retreat practice. So, uh, he's also uh, uh, has recently co-directed a documentary film uh, called We Were Here, uh, which uh, documents uh, San Francisco's response to the AIDS uh, crisis. Uh, and that's online, I believe. So, um, uh, before, you know, so the bill, take it from here. We'll have about a, uh, an hour, but with uh, discussion uh, as you see fit. So, welcome. Thank you. <coughs> um, welcome, everybody. I didn't say my name before, but he said my name for me, so, but I'm Bill. Um, I was um, talking to my, my friend Tom out front, and he said, how are you doing? I said, I'm nervous. I get nervous before I, I speak sometimes still. And it's just part of my personality. I, I, have, I, I tend to get nervous at times. Um, and um, there's, there's, I notice a lot of fear in my life sometimes. I'm getting on my bike to come down here, and I had just printed out the talk, and I was thinking, 
oh, I didn't check to make sure the ink was in the printer. Maybe there's some blank pages in here. <laughs> and, um, and then I get in my bike, and it was, I had my bike bag, and I was like, oh, did I put the top in the, in the bag? And if I didn't, if, what am I going to say when I get there? And so this, this fear, fear just sort of arises just very naturally in my life. I don't have to look for it. It just is sort of there. <laughs> and, um, and what this does for me sometimes, it puts me a little bit off balance. Um, I don't always react well to it. I feel ungrounded by it sometimes. And when I, when I had the opportunity to speak, I like to speak about things that sort of resonate in my life and that hopefully that my speaking about what's resonating for me can have some resonance with other people too. It's, re it's really my desire to, to present something today that, um, that hopefully all of you can take home some reflection or some, heck, find some use with it in some way. One thing I love about the Dharma is the practicality of it. It's, it's a gift to our lives. Um, a huge gift to our lives. So hopefully I can in my reflections on balance and composure, which is what I want to talk about today, hopefully some of my own reflections on this can have some resonance with you and that, that maybe we all can get a little bit more balance and composure or connect with our own balance, balance and composure in maybe a little bit sweeter way. <clears throat> the other thing I noticed when I came in here today, though, too, is, I mean, I noticed I was nervous, but then I... I looked at these faces around here, and there's a bunch of really sweet faces and very um, um, non-threatening um, group of people here. So that, that, that certainly is helpful for me also. Um, so like I said, I want to talk a little bit about balance. Um, because lately in my life, I've been feeling a bit out of sync, a bit out of balance, a bit ungrounded, a bit uncomposed. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been overextended at work. I've taken on too many projects. Um, I've, I'm having some difficult times with some of my work right now, having some difficult relationships with some people I'm working with. And it makes for some crazy making in me, and it, makes, it just makes me feeling anxious, um, tight, um, wound up. I'm, I'm sure you all can relate to this at times in your life when you when you just like I'm not I'm not in very good balance. I was talking with um, uh, Jim earlier too when we just came in here, and um, it's the election gets me really unbalanced sometimes. <laughs> it's like you know I was so happy when it was like when the New York Times had it 90 percent Obama and 10 percent Romney, and now it's like 60 40, and it's just it it creates this anxiety in me, and it it, <clears throat> it, lets, it leaves me feeling a bit unbalanced at times. Um, to the point where uh, we were talking, I, I don't even watch the news anymore. Oh, I will not watch any news programs. But, and even reading the Times, I, and I used to even like watch Jon Stewart for some comic relief around what's going on out in the world. But I can't even, I have a hard time doing that right now because it, it brings up anxiety for me. It's just, it's, there's, a, there's a lot that sort of puts me off balance sometimes I find out there. So, but the other thing is I also realize is that I'm, I'm going on a retreat I'm starting on Thursday. I'm, I'm doing a 10-day silent retreat. And it was like, oh, I can deal with this then. I can get myself back in, into some alignment then. I'll have the time, the opportunity. I won't have the distractions. I can really settle into it. I can really pay attention. I can really be aware. You know, blah, blah, blah. Um, my balance will come later. You know, it's, it's next week. Uh, 
Okay. And last week it was two weeks ago, you know, or two weeks ago. It's getting closer. So, um, but part of the other thing, I want to take a little bit of a side right now because one thing I realize is that it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to put things off. Um, I've lived in San Francisco for 24 years and I've lived in the same neighborhood, the same house for 23 years. And one of the gifts of that opportunity is that I get to really watch the course of life. Um, I've seen, you know, people being born, kids going to college, kids returning from college, people getting married, people having, um, and people dying. And I got a note, an email, I'm part of an email group from my neighborhood, and I got an email yesterday about this neighbor that I didn't know that well, but I've seen around for 23 years. Very sweet, older gay man who died last Sunday, died a week ago today. And like I said, I didn't know him very well, but there was a real sweetness about him. Um, he had a big smile, a big laugh. He always said hi on the street. And, you know, in the 23 years, I watched him get older and older and sicker, and then he's gone. And it made me reflect that this is, this is, all, this is the course of all of us. This is where we're going, you know. Time, time runs out. We, we only have so much, and we don't know how much. So why am, I, why am I putting things off? Why can't I have some composure, some sense of balance now, in this moment, not like maybe next week or something? The other thing I was thinking is that, you know, my own, my own mortality becomes more and more apparent as I get older. This week was National Coming Out Week, and... Um, I came out 40 years ago next week, and it was a very conscious decision that I had. I think it was like October 18th in 1972. I, I had known I was gay from a very early age. I remember having, as a young boy, you know, six, seven, eight, having crushes on Wally and Leave it to Beaver and, <laughs> and Ricky Nelson and, and, um, and, and, the, and, the, and Ozzie and Harriet. Oh my God, Ricky was so cute. <laughs> And so I, I always knew I was gay. I always knew that where I was going, but I didn't want to accept it. I, I wouldn't accept it until finally um, in college. I went to college in the Midwest, and I went to a couple of Grateful Dead shows in St. Louis and had sort of a psychedelic experience, and it was very liberating. And I came back, and, I, and it, on, that, on one night, it was like, I'm gay, and it's okay. It, it was a real switch, a real turning point. Uh, it was like the Buddha's Night of Enlightenment almost, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. But it was just this moment, it was like, I'm switching. It's, it's going to be different. But that's 40 years ago now. That's a long time ago. So I've had 40 years as being a gay man, being an out gay man. And it seems to have gone by in a flash, you know. So I, I bring this up again because there's, there's some sense of urgency. This is passive. No, it's, it's this, you know, we, we only have so much. We only get so much. And it's so beautiful what we do have. And to be here and to appreciate it with some sense of balance and composure, I think is, I want that. I want that. And I, and I don't necessarily want to put it off. I want, I want some sense of urgency around that. Part of what I was thinking about that this morning, too, when I was thinking about it is that even how, how reactive I got about this death in my neighborhood was, I, I thought I'm a bit of a, of a drama queen as part of what we get as some of us as gay men. We, we, we dramatize things. And it is a, it's, a, it's a dramatic event, but I do like to dramatize. But then I thought, no, I'm sort of a, a Dharma queen. Because, <laughs> because part of my dramatization is really around things that, 
that, like, what is this? What is this about? What are we doing? Who are we? How are we alive? So I, I decided I'm a, I'm a uh, Dharma queen. <laughs> um, so this sense of balance, like I said, I've been feeling a bit out of balance lately um, for, for a variety of reasons. And, and part, of, part of the physical sensation of that is, you know, being tight, um, being scattered, being unfocused, um, being anxious, being, you know, heart maybe going faster. This is sort of the experience, the, the physical experience and the, and the emotional experience of not feeling particularly, particularly balanced. So what I want to talk a bit about today around that with the Dharma is sort of how the Buddha's teachings um, relate to and can help support a sense of balance. Um, another aspect of it, too, is that how can we find balance in the midst of being unbalanced? When, when, I, when fear does arise, can I be balanced in the midst of that fear? When anxiousness around the election arises, can I be balanced in the midst of that anxiousness? That my balance and my composure isn't dependent on conditions being a certain way. And the last part I want to sort of look at around this is how can we cultivate and recognize the balance that we do experience? Because all of us, at times, have a really strong sense of, this is okay, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a groove, I'm in sync. Um, we all have that from time to time. How can we recognize that? How can we cultivate that? How, how can we support that? And then how can we maybe reflect and bring that back into our lives in times when we don't feel it so much? Because part of it is, is how can we maybe make that more of our habit than, than our habit of really getting lost in our own anxiousness or, or, or feeling unbalanced? <clears throat> of course, my nose decides to run this morning, too. Excuse me. Um, my second mention of a psychedelic experience for, the, for this morning is years ago, I, I occasionally like to do mushrooms or something and, and really sort of let go of my sense of reality. And I'm, some of you maybe can relate, maybe some of you can't. But this is sort of my own path sometimes. And I was home alone and I wanted to just do a trip just to sort of see where I'm at and just sort of experience a different kind of reality. And I was... And it was a really strong mushroom trip, and, the, and things were vibrating and moving, and walls were melting, and, move, and you know, everything was alive and in motion. And I remember walking around my house, and I came down into my meditation room, and there was a statue of the Buddha, and everything around it was like in motion, except for the Buddha. And the Buddha was like there, just, whew. you know, there it is. It's a sense of composure. It's a sense of being in the midst of all of this that's going on around us. And of having this sense of peace, um, of openness, of acceptance, for no matter what's swirling around. And I think it's, it's really key to what the practice can offer us. Um, I like the story of the night of the Buddha's awakening. Um, I'm sure many of you know, but I just want to go over a little bit of it again. And um, this is a little bit I've, I copied from a, uh, uh, a talk I was reading on the, on the Internet the other day. 
but you know, the, the Buddha had been looking for, you know, the, the truth, basically the truth. And he, he went through all these different practices, but on, and he'd been doing a lot of work to it. But on the night of the enlightenment, he's sitting there and he's, he says, I'm not going to get up until, until I discover it, till I find it. And then that he's visited by Mar, and Mar represents all this craziness in the world. Um, and the story goes, Mara, this is Mara visiting Buddha under the tree the night of his enlightenment. Mara first sent his three beautiful daughters named Desire, Hatred, and Lust. I've been visited by those of them over the three beautiful sons in my case. <laughs> um, however, Siddhartha had already disengaged himself from these defilements of the mind and thus remained unmoved. This prompted Mara to attempt this prompted Mara to attempt to intimidate Siddhartha with fear by generating an army of wrathful and hideous creatures, the very personifications of death. But all through these tribulations, Siddhartha sat calm and unflinching, and Mara's we weapons fell uselessly before Siddhartha. Mara had no other recourse than to withdraw. Thus was cleared the final hurdle on the way to Siddhartha's enlightenment. As Siddhartha meditated under the Bodhi tree, he came to understand the nature of existence and discovered a path that led to release from the inherent suffering we all experience. Finally, on this moon night, on this full moon night in the month of May, he broke with the bonds of ignorance and delusion and attained to unsurpassed liberation of the mind, full enlightenment. As he was alone with no one to witness this momentous event, he called the earth itself to be his witness by touching the ground with his right hand. And it's, it's as I've read before, what he was basically doing with these defilements, with these forces of confusion that were that were greeting him on this night was he was just like he touched the ground with the ground as his witness and he was like I see you I recognize you I'm, I'm awake and I'm aware to what is happening and I have some composure in the midst of that I have some balance in the midst of this you aren't going to knock me off my seat think, you know, if I can just reflect back on that sometimes, the fear I had this morning about giving a talk, about having the talk with me, whatever it was, there is an awareness that can happen in that of just like, I see you, I recognize you, it's part of my life, it's part of my personality, it's part of my conditioning. And within that clear seeing, that recognition, there is some release. I'm not the, the identity of being fearful becomes more of, I see the fear arising. And there's some freedom in that. There's some balance in that. In looking through the, the teachings, the, the, the teachings of the Dharma, this balance comes up a lot. It's, 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 it permeates the teachings. Um, in the Four Noble Truths, you know, sort of the foundation of the practice, um, it's, not being, it's not being swayed by the greed and delusion that come with us. 
It's the suffering that when we do get swayed by that, that there's the, there's the possibility of freedom from, and just the clear seeing and the balance of saying, oh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going there. I'm not, I'm not going to be part of, I'm not going to, you know, to give into that temptation. The, the, the fourth of the Four Noble Truths is the Eightfold Path, which is really about creating a life for ourselves that allows balance to naturally exist. Um, I don't, the Eightfold Path is um, quite deep and in-depth, but basically it's made up of, of three different um, aspects of which we sort of align our lives with. And there's a virtue aspect, a wis- wisdom aspect, and a mental development aspect. And it's basically if, if, we, if we practice these things in our lives, the balance more naturally arrives. I heard a great talk by um, Scoop Nisker, Wes Nisker, about a month ago. I don't know if you know Scoop, he used to be on the radio. I think he still is on the radio some. But he was talking also about, he mentioned the Eightfold Path, but he was talking more specifically about um, the five precepts and how what the five precepts can offer us is just sort of a virtuous life where we aren't out of balance as much. Where if we, if we don't practice, you know, if we don't, if we don't, if we aren't out there telling lies, we don't have the guilt of, oh my God, I did something that I wasn't supposed to be doing. If we aren't out there stealing, we don't suffer through that guilt. We, um, we, we are unburdened by that guilt and regret. So it's, a lot of that's really about creating this life where we are more naturally in sync, where we are more naturally composed. So both in the Eightfold Path and in the price, Five Precepts, these are practices that we can develop in our lives Virtuous practice, practices of wisdom, practices of mental development, which is what we're doing here when we sit in meditation, that really sort of allow this alignment to come more naturally. I was tempted to do a little bit of guidance at the beginning of the sit, but um, I know that most of the times the sits here are in quiet, but one thing I, one thing I love about this, our sitting practice, is that it really is a time for us to practice the sense of balance. Because we sit here and it's like, okay, you know, ideally I'm going to feel nice and relaxed and open and spacious and the thoughts are going to be few. But, you know, how often does that happen? What we do is we sit and things arise. Things come to us. Um, it's like the night of the Buddha's enlightenment. We sit and, oh my God, that, that thing I said to somebody yesterday, I shouldn't have said it comes up to us, or, you know, my body really aches, I'm not taking good care of my body, or, you know, um, whatever it is, we, these, we're visited by all of this stuff. We have, the, we have the opportunity to practice a sense of composure and balance in the midst of that. Okay, there's that. I see it. I can sit through it. It's not as bad as maybe I thought it was. It passes. It moves. It's not solid. It's not permanent. These are practices, you know, that that we that we share together that really sort of help develop the sense of, of um, composure and balance, can help really support it. The other aspect of balance that I really like is a sense of equanimity. Um, equanimity is a feeling of even-mindedness in the face of both suffering and joy. It is the ability to be equal-minded in all circumstances and towards both friend and foe. Um, 
those moments that we've all had in our lives where, you know, you're, you're, you're moving around, things are going on, but then all of a sudden it's like everything is fine, no matter what happens. It's like, oh, that's okay, yeah, that's, that's okay too, and that's fine. We're very much in sync with this, with this sense of even-mindedness. Um, and as I speak, I, might, I invite everybody to reflect and maybe think, oh, yeah, you know, maybe last week or maybe when I was having a conversation with a good friend or something, everything felt fine. We have these moments of equanimity in our lives. And equanimity is another huge part of this practice. And it's a part of this practice as a practice, but it's also part of the Dharma as a fruit of the practice. As that as we deepen, as we develop our virtue, our wisdom, our, our mental development, um, equanimity naturally arises more and more. And when I was looking through some of the teachings of the, of the Buddha, equanimity shows up a lot. There are, the, there are the ten paramitas, the perfections of the heart, and the practice and the the the. the the scope of equanimity is the tenth of the ten paramitas. Um, the four Brahma Viharas, the heavenly abodes, um, those being loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. It's this even mindedness, it's this balance, it's this composure that comes from a, a wise and developed heart. The seven factors of enlightenment, the fact that we're really starting to get it, the fact that we're really developing in the practice. Equanimity is the seventh of the seven factors of enlightenment. It's often called the unshakable peace and serenity. Again, I, I, I encourage you to to both notice when this balance is in your life, when this equanimity is in your life. Because the more we notice these things, the more they become habit for us. The more, the more, the more, the more they become natural for us. And they are there. They're, you know, they're, we, we have them. So just to sort of pay attention to that and to realize that it's something we can come back to when, when things aren't going so good. It's like, oh yeah, but I also have this aspect of my personality, of my awareness, of my wisdom. When I've talked about this before, um, I've encountered concern about this level of equanimity and this level of balance can sort of mean being passive, being disengaged. How can we sit here and be calm and equanimous in a balanced state in the midst of injustice? In the midst of Romney rising in the polls, I, I, I apologize if you know, there's some Republicans in the room, but <laughs> I, I doubt that there are. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. Um, but I think this comes back. I, I believe this is part of the. Um, I think this is used in AA a lot. It's part of some prayer or whatever. I'm not real sure of the source of this, but I'm sure many people recognize this. It's like, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and wisdom to know the difference. I've used this story before, but it, there's a, 
a documentary done on 9-11 that really struck me. Um, there were two French brothers that were doing a documentary on a firehouse down by 9-11 um, and had been there three or four weeks before before 9-11 happened. And they were complaining, and they, they were filming all the firemen every day and with video cameras. And, and it made them dinner on September 10th. And that night at dinner, one of them said, you know, we really have had nothing big happen. I hope something big happens before we leave next week. And one of the firemen said, you know, don't wish that. Um, and, you know, next day, um, all hell breaks loose. But so these, these two young French filmmakers had amazing access to what was going on. And one of them was in the ground floor with the fire departments in the first tower, um, even before the second tower was hit, and was filming what was going on. And so, as many of you know, I don't know, some of you might have seen the documentary, but there were many firehouses, uh, firehouses from all over the five boroughs were coming in for this. And so what you had on the ground floor were um, all these different fire departments, but you had a, a conglomerate of the fire chiefs from all these different fire departments. And there were about five or six or seven fire chiefs all together. And what really struck me was how gentle these guys were. They, they weren't the big gung-ho firefighters. They were more like the little soft-spoken guys. But they, and to me, they, were like, they had this Zen master attitude about them. They had a composure and a balance in the midst of this unbelievable craziness. Because while they were in here working, you could literally hear these thumps outside, and it was people jumping out of the tower and landing on the ground outside. And they were sending you know, people up 70, 80, 90 floors with 100 pounds of gear on them. They're, 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 they're best friends. They were sending up this tower to fight this fire. And they had this sense of composure and calm about them in the midst of hell. And it really, really struck me about what this practice can offer. And it's not, there's not a passivity about it. There's a sense of calm and directedness that can be really useful in our lives. So it's not about sitting back and saying, oh yeah, I can take anything. It's about really engaging in a way, but engaging in a way that does have a sense of balance and composure. So what knocks us off of this sometimes? I know for me, coming back to another teaching some other teachings of the Dharma. It's, you know, the eight winds of our lives. We have circumstances that are good and we have circumstances that are bad. Some days go really good and some days go really bad. Some moments go really good, some moments go really bad. So what we're visited by in the course of the day, these eight different, eight winds that the Buddha talks about, we experience gain, we experience loss. We experience praise and blame. Fame and disgrace. Pleasure and pain. <clears throat> and in some ways, both of them can knock me off my ground. You know, both sides of them, both sides of each of them. I can get very, very caught up in gain sometimes. And, you know, sort of devastated by loss. Some sort of composure in the midst of both, you know, either, either which way and whichever degree your experience on this. You know, I'd, I'd love to give a talk where people say, oh, it was a nice talk, I got something out of it. I, you know, so the praise would be nice, but you know. And I, and I really fear, oh my God, that talk was completely out in left field, you know. Let's don't bring him back again. 
for the 11th or 12th time. <laughs> um, so, you know, how, how these experiences of our lives can somehow, sometimes just sort of knock us off our ground. To pay attention to that, and, to, and again, to try to apply this composure of the Buddha in the midst of whatever arises for us. And what else knocks me off is that um, life is hard sometimes. Life is really hard. Um, sometimes it's like a cruel joke. You know, we're given these miraculous bodies, and then they age and decay, and get and they hurt, and you know they, they fail us. Um, we're given these moments of of unbelievable love and connection, and then then it falls apart. Um, Life can be really, really hard. And I think we also can apply this level of personal judgment and expectation on top of that, that um, we are failing or we're doing something wrong or that um, we don't deserve it or whatever, whatever levels we apply onto this fact that life is hard and difficult um, can really help knock us off our balance too. So one really beautiful way to deal with this life that can be incredibly rich and beautiful but also painful and hard is to the practice of kindness. And of mainly being kind to ourselves. Um, our personalities that are reactive, that my personality of fear that's so reactive sometimes that I really wish wasn't there, but just is. Can I, can I apply some level of kindness to that, to myself? I was reading a while ago Pima Chodron's book. Um, I think it was Going to Pieces Without, Without Falling Apart. And she's, she mentioned that she realized that almost all of her Dharma talks from 1987 to 1994 that she basically talked about the same thing, and that was the great need for loving kindness to ourselves. It's that important, of, it was that important of a teaching to her. And I think this can really help support our practice of finding this balance and composure. Is, you know, I'm okay, Bill, you know, you're, you're fine, you're, you're doing the best you can. Um, practice of may, may I be happy may I be peaceful may I be of good health may I be at ease this practice of we are all as deserving as anybody of this sense of balance and composure and of connection The, what the Buddha taught is called the middle way. He called it the middle way, the middle path. Or as I, up here in Northern California, Spirit Rock, we like to call it the upper middle path. <laughs> but part of that is that I mean, I see that middle path as a bit what I was talking about with the eight winds. 
we aren't swayed by gain and loss. We're sort of steady in the middle. It's also sort of living with it, with the paradoxes that are part of our lives. One of the great paradoxes that I like a lot is the relative and the absolute. The relative is that I'm, I'm here in this body, in this form, with this personality in this moment now. The absolute being, you know, the universe is vast and big and endless and constantly in motion. And, you know, am I constantly lost in that reality, in the absolute reality, or am I really stuck in this relative reality of all my, all my situations are so important and so, so critical, you know. What, what I'm worried about means the most. Is there a middle thing in between those two, where it's the absolute and the relative, where I live with them? And I was reading about the middle way, and it's like, it does, it's not an average of extremes, but it's the neutral position in the middle where the extremes have actually um, ceased to exist, where I'm living in the absolute and the relative at the same time. It's the practice of non-self and having a self. And by having a self, I mean, you know, there's, there's an identity that just sort of naturally comes up. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm here giving a talk. There's an identity around that. But the, also the fact that, you know, it's, it's, it's all just this temporary flow of energy and experience that is also part of the absolute. But so it's a self, non-self. Where do, we, where do I live in the middle in between that? And the balance that is the middle in between that. In the, in the Mahayana tradition, the beautiful Heart Sutra, which, the, which talks about the, the balance between form and emptiness. That this is all empty, but there's form to it. Without getting into it, but if you can get a sense of it sometimes. Um, the emptiness of like, I said I've been out for 40 years, all that's gone. You know, it's just, there's nothing there. I'll leave this room in a while and this whole talk, it's, it's gone. There's just nothing there, but there's a form to it at the same time. Um, and it can be the foundation of, of, a, of lifetimes of practice, just that, that one concept. But somehow that middle ground between those two, where there's a balance between them, because there is, there is form and there is emptiness. So getting a sense of balance in, in the middle path that's, that, that is in between these. I'm going to open it up for questions in just a minute, but what I... Um, what I'd like to come back to just a bit is, again our practice, and our recognition of this composure that we do know from time to time. And this composure that um, is reflected to us, is mirrored to us by the Buddha so beautifully. This recognition and this hopefully creating of some kind of habit in our lives where we do welcome and bring and recognize balance and alignment and composure in our lives. To cultivate it, to nourish it. Um, to also bring the sense of composure when things are really tough. 
when things, when things feel out of balance. Because that's, that's the real beauty of this practice sometimes is that we don't have to wait for conditions to be a certain way to have our ground. We can have our ground in the midst of it all. Mara can visit us in all of its variety of form. And we can say, oh yeah, I see you. I can be with this. One thing I notice is that sometimes when I'm the most composed is when the things get the toughest. I mentioned things were tough at work a while ago. And I'm working with some very volatile people. And I'm, I can be very fairly volatile myself sometimes. And things have gotten really tense at work. And I was being screamed at um, in sort of a violent fashion. And there was something that just clicked in me in that where I was... My composure was there. It was just sort of there. In the midst of really being almost attacked. And I, I've noticed that a lot in my life. That sometimes when things get really rough... I click into something that that does have a ground. Um, as Waldo mentioned, I was a filmmaker, and um, my my filmmaker partner David, um, he and I were making a film ten, twelve years ago called The Coquettes, and that was our first film. And there was a lot of turmoil in that because we we didn't know what we were doing so much, and there's a lot of unknown. Um, circumstances that come up and it can be a very tense situation making a movie sometimes you don't really have the money to do it and, you, and like I said we didn't know what we were doing and there was a lot of a lot of unsettledness a lot of ungroundedness a lot of unbalance in that sometimes that we, we were dealing with and you sort of deal with it when it came up but in the midst in the, in the three or four years we were making the film in the midst of that his best friend his first boyfriend and his best friend of 20 years 25, 30 years died of AIDS in the middle of that for that month, when he was really involved in that, was when he was the most composed throughout that whole process. Um, there's something about the, the really stark reality of life that wakes us up. And in that waking up, we do have this sense of, of balance sometimes. It's really pretty astounding. So not that I wish on myself or anybody times that are so challenging that they do wake us up but can we start to bring that wakefulness that acknowledgement and connect with that composure and balance that we do have in our lives from moment to moment because as I was starting to say earlier in the talk um, this is all fleeting I don't want to put this off to next week or you know down down the road I, I want to I want to have I want to I want to have this composure in my life and, and say, oh yeah, this too, and this too, and this too, and connect with my joy, and connect with my pain, and connect with it all. Um, this urgency. Jack gave me some of the best advice for the talk a long time ago, many, many years ago, when he said, you know, the best Dharma talks really sort of had three points. And um, I tend to give one that have about 15. <laughs> Hopefully I've gotten a few key points out there that, that we can all take and that, um, that can help us in, in some way um, as we deal with this hard life, as we deal with what comes, com comes around for us, as we deal with things that knock us off our balance. Um, that, that hopefully some of this can can help foster and encourage some composure and balance and connection. So, um, with that, I open it up for comments and questions.
if, if there are any. I'm in, I'm in a support group, and um, last week, a, a friend of mine that's in this group was saying to us, he said, you know, I'm really feeling like using this week, he's in recovery, I'm really feeling like using this week, and I'm just warning you guys that I'm having all this fear of falling off the wagon. And I said to him, well, isn't that sort of the point of being in recovery? That you're always on the verge of falling into that? And I was trying to think about that, and I was thinking, is that being sort of smarmy to say that? Or um, cavalier for me to make that comment, you know? Uh, and then I was... Uh, walking down Castro Street yesterday and ran into a friend and he said that his best friend committed suicide mm. uh, a few weeks ago. And I'm thinking, gee, this guy just fell off the wagon mm. in his life, you know. Mm. So uh, my experience in my life is that I'm constantly on the verge of falling off the wagon. And sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. And sometimes that process of falling off the wagon has pretty serious repercussions. Mm. Or my lack of falling off the wagon is saving, saving myself. I don't know. So I'm listening to your talk about balance, and a lot of my experience in life is falling out of balance and getting back into balance, and it's just the nature of my life. Mm. I'm curious, how did your friend respond when you asked him that? Did he have, did he have a response? Do you remember? Uh, not really. Hmm. Yeah. But you had a response. Well, I just had this gut, gut level feeling that that was my experience of my life, is that I'm always on the verge of falling off the wagon. Yeah, yeah. You know. And uh, sometimes I, I do fall off the wagon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and then I, I climb back up on the wagon. And part of why I'm here today is, is, is that I know this keeps me in balance. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that, and thank you for sharing that. I think that, I think, I know I personally can relate to a lot of that in, in many ways. And, and it's that fear, in a way, too, of... of um, being out of sync, or whatever it is, yeah. Do you think the desire for equanimity or balance or um, a reflection of one's life or where one wants one's life to go, there's a developmental aspect to that in the sense that I remember when I was in my 20s and 30s and 40s, I was very goal-oriented, worried about my career. And just And now that I'm about to turn 58, it's sort of like my I'm sort of changing. Those things that were important aren't important anymore. It's more about, okay, I'm getting older. I need to figure out what do I want to do with the rest of my life? How do I get balance between work, personal life? And that I do find that the Dharma does help me in figuring that out. And it's much more meaningful to me now at this stage in my life than mm. it was maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Right. And so I'm not so sure 
I don't know if it's because I understand it better or it's because it's just biologically driven that I'm, you know, seeking it in this way. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Um, part of, you know, part of getting older is that we aren't as impulsive as we, as maybe as we were when we were younger or something, I don't know. But it also, for me, that question brings up part of what I hope I emphasized enough in this practice is that this practice is also about developing the virtue and the wisdom and the morality in a way, if you will, and not as a, as a, as a strict morality, but as morality that really fosters happiness in our lives and, and connection in our lives and things like that. And that, that we recognize that and, that and that recognition maybe fosters more and that, and that in turn bring, brings more balance into our lives. And that also comes with age a bit, I think. So I, I think it's, that's what's really important is that we do come here and we practice this. As you say, you, you, you came to help to practice your balance again. That it, it is something that we take seriously, that we try to develop the conditions for balance to more naturally be there, uh, for, for more, to more naturally arise. The fact that if we're doing things with our lives that, are, that, that help support that, it grows and it, and it flourishes in some ways. Does that answer? And just coming, coming one thing I, I hope I also connected with in the talk is that the kindness is such an important aspect of this as we, as we deal with this. So when we do fall off the wagon at times, that we apply some level of kindness that, that life is hard, that this being in a human form is hard, that we apply some kindness to it. And, and especially, I don't, I don't know if it's, I mean, I, I didn't live 100 years ago, so I don't know if it's more difficult these days than it was back then, but it seems to me like the world's nuts and completely off balance sometimes. And we live in that, and we're part of that, and we reflect that, and we're conditioned by that. So can we apply some level of kindness to ourselves in the midst of all that? And um, I mean, I, I, I hate hearing stories about people that, that commit suicide. And that's like the third one I've heard in, in like the last two weeks and stuff. And um, it's tough. It's just tough sometimes. So just to be kind to ourselves and others. It, it comes back to what the, what, you know, yes, the Dalai Lama, what's, what's your religion? He said, my religion is kindness. My religion is kindness. So it is. Um, something that's coming to mind with these, with what's happening for me is disequilibrium is what makes motion. Hmm. If I sit here still, hmm. well, I can't help it. Everything is moving. The universe moves. But I need to set my body into disequilibrium to move. Right? Right. right. My body, if it's at perfect balance, doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go forward, it doesn't mm. go backward. The cart doesn't move unless the wheel is turning. Right. And even if it's at the center of the wheel, it's the disequilibrium at the edge that's moving the wheel. Right, 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 right. Right? right, so, right, right. How, so in a sense, we can't move without some kind of imbalance. Right, 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 right. You're a Dharma queen. <laughs> no, no, but it's, these, these are big questions in a way. I mean, part of what the Buddha talked about was getting off the wheel. That's what, the, that's what, that's what real enlightenment really is, is sort of getting off this wheel when you, aren't, when you, when you sort of cease motion in a sense. It's, it may, may be one way to look at it. I don't know. But we aren't there. So we, we, and so maybe what I'm gleaning from what you're saying too in a way is that our off-balanceness is also 
part of our emotion and part of our part of our beauty in a way, part of our personality and part of our character and part of our makeup. And so um, to honor that, to honor maybe honor the off balancedness of ourselves, the, the disequilibrium is I think you were calling it. Or maybe you make a choice about where I'm putting the weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Right. This is all the other thing about that I love about you know, one of my favorite teachings is that um, what really comes with awareness is appropriate response. You know, so we, when, when you really sort of see clearly, okay, I'm, I'm filled with fear right now, I can fall into that or I can just say, oh, I, I see it and I don't have to respond to it or I can, behave some, I can behave some other way. I have another way of responding to this when I see it. And that's a little bit, I think, what you're talking about too. So, thank you. You may have answered this already, but comes November 7th. Right. How are you going to deal with all that composure? And, uh... Put my head in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we'll be selling. You know, but it's, and my partner and I have been talking about this a lot. It was like, you know, it's... Hell, I lived through eight years or seven years of Nixon, eight years of Reagan, eight years of W, you know. Um, mm-hmm. we've, we've done this before. Um <laughs> Thing, and things, and, say what? I said four years of Obama. Yeah, 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 and, and yeah, yeah, and things aren't things aren't super great right now. So things will be what they what they are. And so, how, and can I apply some sense of balance to? Yeah. Um, to whatever arises. Yeah. Um, and who knows? I mean, who knows? Because the other the other teaching is I mean and I, I mean this sincerely I mean I've been I've been sort of bashing Romney and but one of one of the great sufferings in life is holding on to your own personal beliefs too tightly um, and so I hold on to my belief that you know this is the better way to go and I hold on to that so tightly and I believe it. In my in my soul, but then I also have to realize that there's a lot of other people out there that believe very differently. Sometimes, you know, whether whether it be as mild as moderate Republicans or as as, as extreme as the Taliban, these people have as strong and as firm of beliefs as I do, or stronger. You know, that they hold and and that they believe are rooted in deep deep truths, and and I, I very much think mine are right, and they do too. And, and there's millions of those around the globe. So, and, and the suffering we have around that. I mean, I often think, you know, there's so many gods out there that have, the, this is the way to go. This is, this is the belief. This is the system or whatever. And, you know, which means that if there's a thousand of them, it means like 999 of them are wrong or a thousand of them are wrong. You know, who knows? So to be careful about how strongly I hold on to, I'll be better if this happens and not so good if that happens. So... Last question, uh, I think we have time for one more. The rest of it, I think, we can do individually uh, with Bill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, thank you for your talk today. It's very timely for me. Um, my mom passed away unexpectedly a month ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm trying to mindfully walk down this path, this you know grieving path. And I've been through it the last few years, a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I've experienced a lot of loss in my life. One of the things that I'm finding now is that balance and composure, when I have those moments of balance and composure, 
I start to get a little bit like, I start tripping a little bit like, is that real? Or am I trying to fool myself into being balanced and composed? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, I find struggling with that as well because there's a part of guilt that might come through like, you know, how come I'm not completely in it and, and feeling it because there's physical manifestations that have come through during this grieving process and why was it heavier a month ago but it's not as heavy now and so I just start to feel a little bit, I'm confused by it, which confusion is also part of the grieving process, so I'm sort of caught up in, in, in all of that sometimes and I was wondering if you could speak to any of the confusion. <laughs> you shed a little light. <laughs> Sorry, as well, we're going to be here till the <laughs> Well, before I, before I get into that, um, what have, what have you come to around your own balance and composure in the midst of all that? What, what, have you come to any sort of conclusion around that? Well, there's there's a part of me that feels that her passing was so peaceful right. that, that that consoles me. Right. Um, also, for myself, selfishly, I'll, I'll say, um, I didn't have to see my mom you know, in a walker or, you know, with her mind going. I mean, she looked gorgeous laying there sleeping yeah, yeah. when I found her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah, I was blindsided and it was very difficult. So that kind of helps me in that experience in, in seeing her and where she was. Right, right, right. We also had a really beautiful talk the night before. Right. And which just left me very peaceful. Right. At the same time, though, I'm still so kind of out there and right. struggling. I know it's only been four, a little over four weeks. But right. I, the other thing I'm hearing a little bit is that you have some reaction both to your sometimes feeling of composure and balance and also to your feeling of confusion sometimes. Mm -hmm. that, that maybe you shouldn't be feeling the balance that you feel sometimes. So um, just to maybe look at that, you know, like why not? And, and what a what a what a what a nice thing to have in the midst of mm -hmm. all the grief and the suffering and yes. and the confusion. Yes. So allow yourself that because it because it is there. It is part of it. And um, and reaction around the confusion because um, you know it is. It's stirring up huge things for you, you know, I'm hearing and, I'm, and, I, and I recognize, and um, of course it's going to, um, you know, you really stirred up the pot, so everything's flowing around there, so all, you know, your, 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 your life, your mortality, your, your lineage, your, your uh, it's all, you know, and it's going to be maddening and confusing sometimes, so, you know. Can you can you be okay with that? Can you can you just like I see the confusion? I'm lost in the confusion. I'm I'm, I'm afraid of the confusion. I'm overwhelmed by the confusion, and I see that too in some ways. And even if you don't, I don't see that. I'm not okay with it. You see that too. You can just see that too. And even in that little bit of awareness of seeing that of can sometimes bring maybe relief or maybe. A little bit of respite in the midst of all that, or something, and and that, that that part that does see that that I'm really doing bad right now, that that part that sees that isn't doing so bad. That part that sees it is like, oh yeah, that too, yeah. And that's that's what we all we all have that in us too, which is really a, 
a huge gift and 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 can and save us sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Thank you, Bill. Um, and you'll be around for uh, talk to people and yeah. you for a little bit after that. Thanks again. Thank you. Um, are there any announcements? Yes, uh, thanks, Bill, for coming. We'll get you for next year. <laughs> uh, next week, our speaker, uh, bear with me, Dharmachari Viradama, and he is a senior member of this this place where we come to the San Francisco Buddhist Center. He's been practicing Buddhism for over 32 years. So, <clears throat> he's actually what he's going to do is going to show share pictures and stories about social and dharma projects that he's done in India. Okay. <laughs> uh, my name is Cass, I'm your host today. So please stay and enjoy the fellowship of the Sangha. There's some refreshments and there's hot water for tea. If you have some tea, please wash a cup with hot soapy water. Um, there, I'll be coming around with a dharma bowl. With a dharma bowl. Um, <laughs> the drama. I'm the dominant. <laughs> the drama ball. <laughs> um, so please consider contributing to the song of its expenses. Two eight dollars is uh, suggested, or whatever you feel uh, willing and able to contribute. Um, there's a sign-up sheet for people who would like to get the um, newsletter. And at 12.30, um, people collect um, at the front door who are interested in going to lunch. Um, it's open to anybody. Um, and I think that's okay, thank Go you. Giants. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, this time we uh, hold hands and do the dedication to Mary. <laughs> By the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness, which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity, without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.